young people slip out with Melissa, and uh, you pray for me today. <laughs> it's been a rough few months as pastor. We lost Marion, and then we lost Nelson, and now we've lost Sam. And I'm really struggling with it today because these are good, godly people we're losing. And I hate to see them go. And I'm glad each one of them's in a better place today. But it's been a rough uh, few months. So will you pray for me? <laughs> I get myself together here. We're in Ephesians 5 this morning. And uh, we're continuing on in our study. And we're, we're in this part of this chapter where Paul shifts from some of the things that he's been talking about. He's been talking about in the early parts of chapter 5, uh, the walk of a believer. And you remember in verse 1, we read, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And, and the whole point of chapter 5 is walking as God would have us to walk, walking in the light of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the walk of the believer. And he goes in and deals with some of those things, some very specific things in our walk as believers. And then as we get down into verse 21, there is a shift that takes place, and he begins to talk about our walk in light as a believer when it pertains to earthly relationships, uh, particularly in the family and then in our work relationships. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today. We just introduced it last week. Today we're going to look at the relationship with husband and wife. Next week we'll look at the relationship with children to their parents and uh, in the workplace. And so that's what Paul does. So he's laid out all this groundwork of, of walking in the light, walking as God would have us to walk. And now he's going to get right down into the home, right where we live every day, and talk to us about how we ought to walk in this life, how, what those relationships should look like. Now, we started out last week, we... we um, we, were in, we ended kind of with verse 21, and then we got just a little bit into verse 22. In verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And uh, Vern and I were joking. He said he came back today because he wants to hear what that has to say next. And uh, we were joking about that. And I said, that's going to be great for the uh, men for the first half of today's sermon. Maybe, maybe about 15 minutes in, if you're a gentleman, you might want to slip out because the second half of the sermon is going to get you. So, uh, but, but listen, folks, what we're really talking about here is all stemming from verse 21. It's submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, in the, in the family relationship, in the husband and wife relationship, uh, that there has to be work that takes place of submitting ourselves one to another. It's not all about me, and it's not all about my spouse. It's, it's a submission where both work mutually together as established by God. So the things I'm going to share today, if you don't like what you hear, don't blame the preacher. Because all I'm going to do is share with you what the Lord has to say as far as the structure and organization in the home. How home is supposed to look. What is a home supposed to look like? Bearing in mind that from the start, we are to be submitting ourselves one 
to another. And so we jump in here and we, we read in verse uh, 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, first of all, let's talk about what that is not. Um, submission is not inferiority. Submission is not silence. It's not, God is not saying the wife has no voice in the home. It's all about the husband. He rules the nest, and he's the king of the home, and it's all about him, and she gets no say in it. That's not what this verse says. Now, folks, there are people that twist Scripture, take it out of context, and try to make that verse say that, that the husband is king and the wife is subservient to everything he says, and that's how it should be. That's not how it is. I want us to also notice very quickly that the verse says, um, wives, submit yourselves unto your own Husbands, there is only one man that the wife is to be submissive to, and that is to her own husband. Now, folks, that flies very quickly in the face of some of the beliefs in some nations in our world today where the woman is subservient to every man. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture says that the wife is to submit herself to her own husband. So we want to make it very clear this morning that this is not an issue of inferiority, not an issue of silence, and not an issue of women submitting themselves to all men in general. That's not what this is about. What it is about is it's about God-sanctioned roles of authority within the home. God is a God of order, and you can see that order in creation. You look at the, 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 the things that God created and the order in them. I love to think about the order of creation, how things work. You look at the, the cycles, the water cycle, and, and, and the cycle of, of, of the planets and all these things, and, and how they affect every part of our life. You know, I, you, you know there, there's so many things in creation that's orderly. You know, certain things happen at certain times. We, we can predict certain things based on past history because things happen at certain intervals. And, and so we're able to establish those things. Why? Because God put order into creation. God didn't just fling it all together and say, I hope it all works out in the end. That's not what he did. There's order. There's structure. Matter of fact, when, when God was creating, he even created order and structure there. What did God tell Adam to do? He told him to have dominion over the animal kingdom. He named the animals. He was to have dominion over that kingdom. And, and so, and, and man, that would have been exciting, wouldn't it? Can you imagine each one of those animals coming by and he's sitting there going, man, let's see, what am I going to call you? And uh, picking a name for every animal that was here at the time. But that's exactly what God gave Adam to do. He was to have dominion, structure in the creation. Well, that structure continues uh, into the home. And the husband has a role of responsibility and leadership in the home. Now, listen, folks, we have to understand that when the scripture tells us, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, uh, that doesn't free you as a husband from responsibility. As a matter of fact, when you get right down to it, that puts more responsibility on you because you're responsible to lead your home. You're responsible for the direction of your home as the husband in your home. 
And that puts a lot of responsibility on the husband, but that is God's structure and organization for the home. That's where the responsibility is supposed to fall. We remember all the way back in the Garden of Eden that Eve ate of the fruit, right? And then Adam ate of the fruit. But what does the scripture tell us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12? It says, wherefore as by one, what? Man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Adam, it's Adam's sin that was imputed unto us. Nowhere in scripture do we see it was Eve's sin that was imputed unto us. It was Adam's sin. Adam was the head of the house. And Adam was responsible for what took place. And so it is Adam's sin that is imputed unto us, that is imputed unto mankind, that we still deal with today. But notice what it says. It says, uh, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And then notice the last uh, phrase in that verse, as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Here is the, the motivation uh, for submission. Why should I submit if I'm a lady? Why should I submit? Because I'm submitting to my husband as I would submit to the Lord. As, as I would submit to him. To, it's, and it serves as an expression of our submission to God. It really, therefore, the wife's submission is part of her Christian walk. That's what it becomes. That's what he's saying. He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands as you would submit to the authority of God as you would, you would submit to, to God's role in your life. And so it becomes part of her Christian walk to submit as, as God has commanded. And so that's what we see as we go into this part of the passage. Then we get some, um, some clarification, some explanation in the next couple of verses. Notice what it says. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So we get some, some clarification here, and the clarification is the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Again, this, this goes back to obedience to God, obedience to his structure that he has established. What structure has he established? Christ. Man, woman, children. It goes like that. That's the structure. That's the order. And so uh, that's what God has established. And God was the one that established marriage. He has established the home. And he's the one that gets to lay out the, the structure of the home in doing so. And so that's what God has done. And there is priority uh, in, in creation. We already mentioned Adam was given dominion over the animal kingdom to name them and have dominion over them. So there is structure in all these things. Now, God created man and woman uniquely, and, and the problem comes then when we turn from our God-given roles. And folks, we've seen a lot of this in, in our nation, particularly uh, with, with the rise of, of the feminist movement, where, where women have turned from their godly roles and try to be the one that's in authority in the home. And, and listen, there, there is a mutual, and we're going to see this as we get further into this passage, there is a mutual submission that is supposed to be taken place in the Christian home, in the godly home, but the husband is to take the role of leadership, the head of the home. 
And again, before we get that wrong, let's make sure we understand that is not that you are the king and everybody listens to every word you say. That's not how that works. But some people do take it that way, folks, and we must be careful because that's not how it works in the home. There, But there are God-given roles, and we must understand that. And part of the explanation here is this. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And that's his rightful position. That's his responsibility. He is the head of the church. So I may be the pastor of Crossroads Baptist Church, but I am not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And what we do as a church, we do with him in his preeminent role. We don't put the pastor in that preeminent role. Now, that's the problem, I will say, with some churches in our nation today, is that pastors have almost taken the role of Christ. And, and they, are, they are like they're, they're on top of the church and everything answers. That's not how it's supposed to be, folks. And so Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's the example in Scripture that we're given. And so what, what is happening in this, in this marriage relationship, this marriage relationship becomes this picture of Jesus Christ in the church and what takes place there where Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, we hear the word savior and we think, okay, Jesus Christ saved me from my sin, so I'm going to heaven. That must be what it's so the husband saves the wife. That, well, the word Savior can mean different things. And in this particular case, the word Savior, it, the definition would be a preserver. In other words, the husband is to guard and shield and protect the wife. That's what the husband's to do. Listen, folks, I'll just be honest with you. There is no man in this world that is worth his salt if he's not willing to give his life for his wife. I'm just being flat out honest. Every one of us as men should be willing to lay down our life for our wife. And that's how it should be. And you're not worth much if you're not willing to do that. I'm just telling you. Because God has given you the responsibility of preserving, protecting, guarding your wife. And so that's one of the things we have to understand. Uh, Phillips in his commenta commentary says this. He says, every married Christian couple should be an illustration to the world of the relationship that exists between Christ and his church. Listen, we get these beautiful pictures in the Bible uh, of different things, and one of the pictures that's so beautiful is we see the marriage picture, husband and wife, husband is the head, wife submits to the husband, and then we're going to get to the man's responsibility more in a second. And then we see that same picture, Christ in the church. Christ is the head, the church, the body of Christ, submits to his authority. And we get these beautiful pictures in the Bible that really help us understand both relationships. Because of the marriage relationship, I can understand the relationship between Christ and, and the, his bride, the church, much better because I can understand it in a marriage relationship. And then vice versa, uh, because of Christ and his relationship with the church, I can understand the marriage relationship much better because I see how it works there. And so these illustrations help give clarity and explanation uh, to, to what is there in this passage. Now, if chapter 5 ended at verse 25, the wife might feel like, Every obligation falls on me. But folks, chapter 5 doesn't end at verse 24. <laughs> so, so now, guys, it's your turn for a moment because you have a responsibility too. 
And I want us to notice as we get into verse 25 here, after verse 24, what your responsibility is. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now listen, in the marriage relationship, a husband and wife are, are both obligated in some areas. And, and, and in Guzik, in his commentary, he laid some of those out. He says both husband and wife are called to die to self. Listen, folks, we're called in the scripture to die to self. That's what part of being a Christian is. We die to self and let Christ reign in our life. So both husband and wife are called to die to self. Both husband and wife are called to sacrifice. Listen, it, there is nobody in this room that's been married for any amount of time that would say there's never a sacrifice in marriage because that would be a lie. We understand. We have, we have to submit to each other, sacrifice for each other, and, and we're going to see that more in just a minute as, as we look into this definition here in just a second. But both are called to, self, to die to self. Both are called to sacrifice. Both are called to see their marriage as a picture of Christ and, and the church. And both are called to honor the order of creation that God has given. Listen, folks, when we work in a structure that is outside of what God has established, we have problems. That's when we have problems. Listen, part of the problem in our society today is because there, there are, are things being pushed in our society today that are outside of what God has established. God has established a man and a woman, period. That's all there is, folks. There's a man and a woman. There's not 30 other letters of the alphabet after it. Okay, all those things are things that man has created. But there is man and woman. That's what God established. God established the home, husband and wife coming together to procreate, and children come afterwards, and then they eventually form homes. God has established the structure in the church where Christ is the head of the church. God established government and governmental authority, and through Scripture we're, we're taught to obey those in authority with a caveat, when they go outside of what God has commanded, we are to obey God. And so we see that in Scripture as well. But these things are all structures, order that God has given us, and so we need to understand those. Now, as we go into this part of the structure dealing with husbands, notice it says, husbands, love your wives. Now, we have the word love there, and we have to understand the Greek language is different than our language. We have one word for love. I love you. You know, right? We say, we say I love you to people that are, are acquaintances of ours, that we're good friends with. I love you. We say, I love you to, your, to my kids. I say, I love you to my wife. We have one word, and the word is love. That is not the case in the Greek language. In the Greek language, there are four words for love, and each one has a different definition. So in the Greek language, there is eros, which we would right away probably running to our mind would be, would be the kind of the root for the word erotic. So that, that's, that's a, a love driven by desire. And, uh, and, and you know, you, you, you look at, you know, I, rem, I remember when I first saw my wife at college. I didn't know her yet. We weren't friends yet. I just saw this girl, and I liked what I saw. And so, you know, that was a, that's a love driven by desire. I like, oh, I like her. I'd like to be with her. And that was, that's the first, that's how relationships start, right? We see somebody, we like what we see, <coughs> and we want to be with them. But then some of the other forms of love come in. Then we have storge, which is a family love. 
That would be the love between brothers and sisters, parents and their children, uh, all within the family love. You know, I I have a brother and a sister. I love my brother and my sister. Uh, they, They love me, I hope. I think they do. You know, we have a family love. I love my father. My father loves me. That's a family. That's, that's storge. Then you have phileo, which is brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia, right? The city of what? Brotherly love. And so there's phileo love. That's brotherly love. And then finally, the fourth definition of love in the Greek is agape love. And that is unconditional love. That's what it is. Now listen, in the marriage relationship, so we don't get this wrong, all those loves exist in the marriage, or they should, let's put it that way, in the marriage relationship. All those should be present. But in this passage where husbands are being, and the word is commanded, husbands love your wives. That's a command of scripture. When we're being commanded to love our wives, the word there is agape love. It's the highest form or level of love. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment for the love given. In other words, folks, in agape love, I love my wife just because I want to love her. That's what it really boils down to. I love her because I want to, I don't expect in return. I don't, I don't show her love so that I get love in return. I love her because I love her. That's agape love. It expects nothing in return. And, uh, and, that's, and it's the highest form of love. Guzik in his commentary points out that this passage does not say that we should be kind to our wives or nice to our wives. It's not, what it says is that husbands should agape love their wives. In other words, it is a decision that we make. The other three aspects of love, the eros, the storge, and the phileo, Those are are things uh, that are are emotionally driven. But agape love, though it can have emotion in it, agape love is a love I decide to have. I I choose that kind of love. I choose to love without expecting in return. That's agape love. Now, there is some emotion in that as well, but it's not emotionally driven. It's choice-driven. I am going to love this person no matter what. That's what agape love is. Because, folks, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I've been married a while now, not as long as some of you all, but it, Joyce and I are getting up there now. We're getting older. As a matter of fact, we were, I was talking to somebody the other day. Oh, I was talking to the chaplain that was over at uh, Sam's house when, when we met up there after he passed. And, and the chaplain and I were comparing notes about our lives, and it was so funny. We were very similar. And uh, we, Joyce and I were married on June 20th of 1987, and he and his wife were married on June 19th of 1988. So our, 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 our lives kind of were very similar in a lot of ways. But I was thinking about that, man, June 20th, 19th, that was a long time ago, folks. And it was. And you know what I've learned in all those years of marriage? My wife is always right. That's what, no, no, that's not what I've learned. <laughs> Probably true, but, but, uh, but that's not what I've, what I've learned is, is everything doesn't always go perfect. Life is not perfect, folks. Life is messy. And and anybody who tries to tell you that they never have an issue in their marriage and it's all just roses all the time, they're going to get the thorns eventually because that's not how it works. 
we got to be honest with ourselves and understand that marriage and relationships can be messy. But husbands, you are commanded to love your wife without expecting anything in return. That's what the command of Scripture is. And, uh, and we, we have to understand that. He says, husband loves your wives. This is the command, and then it goes on. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What did Christ do for the church, folks? He gave his life. He went to a Roman cross for the church. That's what he did. He loved us with the drops of his own blood. That's what Jesus Christ did for the church. And husbands, that is how committed we are supposed to be to our wives. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. He gave it all for the church. That's what he did. He gave it all. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Paul kind of jumps over now to the, to the Christ and the church relation, part of the relationship here, kind of jumps out of the picture of husband and wife for a second here, and he talks about Christ uh, sanctifying the church, cleansing it, and the church being presented uh, as, as a holy church without blemish. And so he kind of jumps over to that for a minute. But folks, what we have to understand is that we are supposed to, as husbands, our responsibility is to love our wives. Guzik says this, he says, what he really meant is husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. That's a good way to define that. He's continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. And so in, the verses, in those verses 25, 26, 27, lays out the standard example of Christian husband's love for his wife, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. The husband is to make sure that uh, his love, and this is Phillips from his commentary, he says this, the husband is to make sure that his love for his wife is of such quality that come what may, she will, uh, uh, she will remain so supremely, reign so supremely in his heart that no sacrifice would seem too great for him to make for her. Boy, that's a nice definition. Let me read it again because I messed it up a little. He says, the husband is to make sure that his love for his wife is of such quality that come what may, she will, uh, she will reign so supremely in his heart that no sacrifice would seem too great for him to make for her. And then, they, Jesus, and then Paul, the direction of the Holy Spirit, continues on with the example of Christ in the church. And then it takes us back to verse 28. And it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the, uh, the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now, as we get into this portion of the passage, we, we understand we get a very, very clear picture of what's supposed to take place in marriage. And the picture is this, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We have two flesh lived separately to this point, 
that now come together as one flesh and create a new family. When I do marriage counseling, I, I talk about this passage because I, I, I talk to wives and I talk to husbands both about the fact that once you, one, when you get married, you have left the other family and you have started a new family. doesn't mean you never pay attention to the other family, but what it does mean, and I talk about this in marriage counseling, it means wives, if you get upset with your husband, you don't just get to run home. Or husbands, if you get upset with your wife, you just don't get to run home to mom. That's what it means. It means you have left that relationship behind to establish a new relationship, a new family in marriage in, a, in the way God wants us to do it. Two flesh become one. And that's what he's, that's what he's talking about here. Two flesh becoming one flesh. Uh, for that reason, when a man loves his wife, he, he loves himself because his wife is part of himself. They have now become one flesh. And the scripture talks about the fact, uh, for, um, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. But up above that it says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So what's he talking about? He's talking about, listen, we, got, we don't hate ourselves. Well, no, we want to nourish ourselves. We, we love ourselves. We don't hate ourselves. And so he says in the marriage relationship, the wife is now part of you, so you need to do what? Nourish her and cherish her. That's what it's talking about here. That's how it should work in this relationship. And the Bible is clear on, the, on this part of the passage. And then we get down, uh, verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And then he says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he talks about how it's kind of a mystery on both sides, how all this works, how two become one, Christ and the church, husband and wife. And then he ends with this, and this is where I, where I want us to, to understand here. He ends in verse 33, much like he begins... Um, at verse 21. He 21 said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of God, excuse me. And then verse 33 says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. What, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the same thing in verse 21. We're talking about husbands and wives submitting to each other in the appropriate roles that God has established within the home. And folks, when we do that, when our home becomes a home based on this passage from Ephesians, when that happens, not only is our home going to be a home that's structured after the structure that God wants it to be, but it's going to be a home that pictures what takes place with Jesus Christ in the church. There are parallels there being drawn between the two. But listen, it, it, folks, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to have a happy home, you know, sometimes you, you hear people talk about, I wish I had a happy marriage. I wish my marriage was more happy. I wish, you know, whatever. If you, if you want to have a happy home, I'm going to tell you, Ephesians 5 is the way to do it. That's how to do it. You do it God's way. See, we spend so much time trying to do things our way, trying to figure it out. So, uh, I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to get it straight. I'm going to figure it out. You know, we, we think that way often. But the fact of the matter is, folks, we just got to learn to do it God's way. God established structure for the home. Now, teenagers, which are scattered all throughout the auditorium today, next week it's your turn because you're in that structure as well. You're not exempt from that structure. 
There is structure in the home. The husband is responsible as the head of the home. The wife submits to her husband. The husband loves his wife, even as Christ loved the church. And then we're going to get to children in the home. What is, there, what is your responsibility? Because you have a responsibility in the home. You may think, well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in elementary school. Well, you have a responsibility in the home, a God-given responsibility. And all these things work and work properly in the structure established in Scripture. Why, folks? Because God is an all-wise God. And he knows how to organize it a whole lot better than we do. That's why. We just got to learn to take God at his word. God says, this is how a godly home works. This is what makes a godly home. Plenty of scripture that talks about that. And then Ephesians 5 here, this is how it works. If you want to walk in the light of the Lord in your home, this is how you do it. That's what God says. And we need to take God at his word. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. We come to the end of this message. It's not the simplest passage of scripture to deal with, folks, uh, but it's important for us to understand that there are God-given roles in the home. And, and, and listen, if the wife does what she is supposed to do godly, spiritually wise, and the husband does what he is supposed to do godly and spiritually wise, that home is going to be a beautiful thing. It is. Because that's how God established it to work. That's how God put it together. And so we need, we need to understand that and work within that structure. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes. I'm going to ask Elizabeth to play for just a moment today. Maybe the Lord's done business with you. You need to spend some time at the altar or in prayer at your pew. Uh, we wait just for a moment, folks. But let's remember that Christ gave his life for the church. He gave his life for each one of us. If you're here today and have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen, if you talk to me or talk to somebody after the service, we can take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure today that you're saved and that you've accepted that free gift of salvation. And you will better understand at that point Christ giving his life for the church, I promise you. So we wait just a moment.